This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we were offering five conversations from episode 24, our review of last week's Innovations in Naval Care Congress, year two. Plus, from the vault, conversation 24.1 from season three, our review episode from last year's INCBCN1. This conversation dives into summarizing the actual conference itself. It starts with the opening of dramatic flamenco music and then the first session on the fatal triple. While the conversation covers all the elements of the session, the group spent the most time on Ramon Patavier's talk on alcohol, which focused among other things, on the many ways that people describe the amount they drink, and particularly the hazy concept of social drinking, which sounds benign until you realize that the levels that some people describe as social drinking can become lethal over time. Yorin goes on to describe a paper presented by Dr. Maurice Michel from his group in Mainz on the value of outreach and going places in the community, as he puts it, using a fiber scan machine. He discusses the educational benefits and challenges of converting this to a major treatment element. Since what Yorin is describing is what Louise Campbell's company does, I turn to Louise for comment. She suggests that getting scanning devices into the community will lead more people and a broader set of people to be scanned, particularly if they can do so in a place they consider safe, healthy, and free of stigma and sick people. INCBCN is a different concept of what a medical conference can be. Year two was not the same as year one, but like year one, it was an exciting meeting driven by a different perspective of what it wanted to achieve. It's an excellent conference and occasionally eye-opening, an opportunity for you to listen, sit back, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. Let's talk about the Fatal Triple, which was the official opening of the workshop. I have to say, before we could even open it, we were overwhelmed by another round of music. And uh, something that makes this workshop so special is, I guess, uh, the atmosphere in Barcelona. Uh, that goes back to Jeff and his, uh, you know, having lived there for such a long time. So it was a great experience. Roger Green. Since no one in this audience, unless they were in the meeting, would have heard the music, you've got two choices. Explain the music or go on to the session. I'll go either way on this. Yeah, it was a short session of flamenco. Uh, is it flamenco? Flamenco music, or how would you actually call it? It's a traditional. Jeff, you're much more qualified to comment on it. Jeffrey Lazarus. I, I thought Roger was going to say there was a third option, which was to actually try and sing or play air guitar. So I appreciate that that wasn't requested. It's flamenco, so it's not at all from Barcelona. But since there are flamenco dancers in and and you know guitarists and musicians in Barcelona, and everybody loves that music, I asked a, a group that I had met last year just before Inc. BCN in a bar where they were playing if they would come. And it turns out they were quite well known and and, and abroad as well. So they came back again this year and interrupted Yaron and I in the opening with their guitars and their singing. It's a very tortured, you know, from the earth from the roots kind of music and dance and they did a, about 15 minutes at lunch and 15 minutes in the opening uh, put us a little behind schedule but I think it was worth it and then we kicked off with the fatal triple like we did um, last year as well so with that let's let's go into the fatal triple you are an or Jeff please take us through a little bit of what was in the session and what you found so so interesting about it like you're new with the chair maybe this is one for you to do yeah let me get started I was joined by Ona Hollebaum who's an endocrinologist from uh, the Netherlands Amsterdam and actually the first speaker was Harriet Rumgai, a PhD student who works with the WHO on HCC aspects in public health. And uh, she's actually a first author of a recently published study in the JHEP. I think it even made it to the front cover. So she was really a great speaker to kick it off and reminded us that um, the epidemic burden of NAFLD has led to an unprecedented increase in cancer, particularly liver cancer, but we're also seeing non-hepatic cancers in these patients. I think that was important just also to hear that the WHO 
whether that PhD student at the WHO is addressing these things. Second um, presentation was given by Ramon Batallier, a local hepatology lead or clinic head there. And Ramon has been worked um, on alcoholic um, liver disease for a long time. And of course, there's a lot of overlap. So he tried to answer or reminded us that there is no way to safe drink, but many aspects are of genetics, uh, obesity and environment contribute to uh, severe liver disease. If you overdo it, we would call it alcoholic. If you are, let's say, uh, a moderate drinker, it can add to your non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So um, uh, two great topics right on that opened in our of clinical relevance. Patients end up with cancer and how do they get there? I think it's the environment and, and alcohol adds to it. And then actually a fellow from my department was presenting one of these selected abstracts um, on screening work in diabetes and um, primary care practices. Uh, and actually here we found 10% of cirrhosis or let's say 10% of greater than 15 kilopascal on fiber scan, which is not always equal to cirrhosis, but it's a, you know, it's a significant burden of liver disease. So to me, that first session, which was ended up then with a roundtable discussion to address these aspects, started off well. So I'll just add to that overview. I, I met Harriet Romge when I saw her article on the cover of JHEP in the autumn, and we had connected on LinkedIn. And I just thought she'd be, it'd be great to have a, a young woman. She had just finished her PhD, open up the conference, like Jaren said. Um, IARC, the International Agency on Research on Cancer, which is based in Lyon, France, is a part of WHO. Um, and since they had focused on liver cancer, I thought, let's get WHO into the meeting that way, even if they're not really addressing fatty liver disease at all in general in their NCD work. And then, you know, Ramon Bachir is so well known to everyone as, as the master and commander of alcohol-related liver disease and the head of the liver unit at the hospital clinic where my, my institute's affiliated. Ramon also introduced the concept to us of social drinking as well as careless social drinking. And he just looked up some definitions online and it was, it was quite humorous and quite sad because you can, you know, you can drink a lot in social drinking. And then it said, if, if you have careless social drinking, it can end in death. So. So it went from social drinking was having a drink, you know, or two um, with friends and colleagues to careless means you socially drank too much and died. So, so he just kind of reminded us of the dangers of social drinking because we often talk about, you know, heavy drinking and refer to it differently. But when social drinking, it seems to be OK. And he reminded us that it's not always OK. I thought one of the really interesting thing about Ramon's talk was exactly how, how many different ways he described drinking and how many different ways he described how people assessed the quantity of what they were drinking relative to A, what it accurately was, and B, relative to some internal yardstick they had of, is it okay or not? Most of the people I know who tell me they drink a little too much never drink more than a bottle of wine in a day, but they probably drink that seven days a week. Um, so uh, to me, that would be a lot more than a little too much. It's that kind of thing. I mean, everybody sets their uh, metric where they do and then measures out from there. And I thought his talk was really fascinating about all the different ways that happens. Yeah, it was great. You know, he kind of reminded us, just like the Greenlanders have so many different ways to say snow. We have so many different ways to describe a standard unit. And he's been discussing with me the idea of getting some consensus around what a standard unit is. And then Henry Mark, who, who works with me and Izo and used to be at Wilton Park, tweeted an image. And we know Ramon is very prolific on Twitter and provides mentoring advice as well. And so Henry responded with an image of what a standard unit has looked like over the last hundred years. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it becomes a bit of a supersize. I'm having one drink and it's the size of the big 
bowl. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. And in the pandemic, in fact, it probably becomes bigger, roughly the size of a dog's water bowl for a large dog. But yeah, that, that I like that. I like the visualization on that. You on any comments on practicality of Dr. Michelle's presentation or practically what people in the room took away from it or you felt they were taken away from it? Well, I think it was about outreach and going into places. I took a fiber scan into endocrinologist offices and we didn't even have access to all the lab results. We just scanned there to broaden pers- um, recognition. And I think that's, you know, on Jeff does that on multiple levels. For us, it's easier in the medical system. So we hooked up with the primary care providers there. But it's an eye opener if you get the result that, you know, 10% of the patients you're seeing are in a cirrhotic range and a lot of patients and the physicians wouldn't have thought so. Uh, so I think that that's the hands-on because this is research we conducted uh, together. So I'm a little maybe over-optimistic on the practicality of this, but it works for us. So it's feasible. When you say over-optimistic on the practicality, what do you mean by that? Well, you need the machine, you need the time and you need the room. So it's not, I mean, look at the primary care office. There's not always a room where you can actually have somebody lie down. Uh, you have to really make it work and maybe take people somewhere, have them rest. I mean, I had a lot of discussions on the practical side around the value of FibroScan. If somebody lays down and you measure immediately, you have to adapt to a certain you know, heart rate. And uh, then so you should have three minutes at least, maybe better five, but you know, three minutes wait before you get the scan. And that might not be as easy um, if, you're, if you operate outside an expert center. So then, of course, you, ha- you have to pay for a machine to bring it there. You have to pay for the person that goes there. But if you do that, you, know, fi- you find a lot of disease. And from that, I think there was a thought emerging that we could actually do some initiatives where we take the machine into different settings, like put them in a, in a little liver bus and, and, and go on a, on a ride and kind of go to people and, and have them scanned if they want it uh, in different settings, even outside the medical system. I'm told there's a company in the UK that does that. Uh, Louise, would you know anything about those people? Louise Campbell. Oh, I might just know exactly who those people are. But I think when we start to think outside of the medical framework, we can be very, very innovative. But we are very trapped by concrete thinking. It's got to go through this, this, this and this. We've got to do it ourselves. It took me 12 years with my team to establish the largest Fibroscan service in the UK and have, but I never had somebody employed for Fibroscan. I always took a piece of somebody's job plan to do that because it was never fully funded. That's probably a broader conversation than the meeting, but I think Jean is absolutely correct. What we can do is get it out to people in a way that is very innovative and get it into community, get it for hepatitis C, get it for all communities because everybody has a liver. Pick the liver at risk to find out the cause. So we don't stigmatise on what your liver damage is by your fibroscan. And that's the key. A lot of people talk about stigma. They don't want to sit in the same rooms as people with different liver diseases. They all have a liver disease, but we self-stigmatise. And I think that it is one thing that machine goes beyond. It does not. It just tells you some information and then you can have conversations. And that is removes stigma. And I think that's a big part of being able to get these machines out in the way that Jean's describing and that Jeff has alluded to earlier. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week, we will post after the end of International Nash Day, after you have had the opportunity to consume a day of fantastic liver presentations. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye-bye now.